Welcome back. It's Jokerman. It's part two of our Jokerman 100 series. Sure is. The middle part of the list. I'm Evan. I'm Ian. And uh, yeah, we ended up going uh, 100 to 67 uh, (laughs) for the first part. Kind of arbitrary. Uh, Things got in the way. Life intervened. But it was kind of a nice happenstance because 67 was happened to be the year of the final song, sure did. which we ended that part with. Absolutely. The great, for those of you who don't remember the great, I pity the poor immigrants. John Wesley Harding, great. I'll, I'll just say once more that these are kind of, look, it's not going to be like exact in terms of like the ranking. I think that's a fool's errand. What you can expect from these is our hundred favorites, basically, that we could, you know, given there's some some outliers that I think we'll address on another episode later on, maybe like a, a, a honorable mention type of a bonus episode. But these are ones like off top of the dome. This is what the Jokerman have covered on Jokerman podcast, you know, post 67 material. This is what we want you to know is worth your time. Exactly. I think it's an effort to integrate the entire corpus of Bob's output. You know, I think uh, a lot of Bob fans out there will be fans of particular eras. You know, you've got your your early mid-70s folks. We got your your Wiggle Wiggle guys. You got the Wiggle Wiggle folks. Uh, You know, I think here we're trying to knit it all together into one cohesive body. And so you'll see things. Well, I mean, a lot of you haven't even uh, heard heard the first part of this because that's on Patreon. Go subscribe now if you want to uh, hear us explain all of our uh, uh, brilliant picks. But you'll get things like uh, what just happened in the last episode, 69 Buckets of Rain from 1975, 68 Roll on John 2012, 67 I Pity the Poor Immigrant from 1967, you know, placing stuff from latter day, early day, mid-career, all next to each other, where it deserves to be, uh, and contextualizing each song individually uh, alongside all of the others. So that's kind of what we're doing here. But I will say, the closer we get to the top of the list, I think the more... The more like, Jokerman bullet- it becomes. The more Jokerman it becomes, and the more bulletproof representative of our uh, actual um, uh, extremely dumb take on Bob's uh, output uh, it becomes. So stick around. It's going to be a lot of fun getting up towards the top. Do you have any other last uh, comments or concerns before we uh, jump in, Evan? No, we have so much ground to cover. I think we best just hit the road running. That is true. One last note that I will add, uh, unlike the album rankings, uh, we mentioned this on the first part of the episode, so Patreon subscribers, sorry that this is duplicative, but unlike the album rankings where we each had our own individual ones, these are this is one joint Jokerman list compiled from... Both Evan and myself, uh, we did our own separate rankings and then sort of combined them numerically and then also did some nipping and tucking here to make it as perfectly representative as it could be. So no separate uh, competing rankings here, no normie list and no based list uh, for all of you to get mad at. This is just one master document. On that note... Number 68? Six. You're, you're going 66. the wrong direction. Right. 66. <laughs> We're going back. <laughs> going back to the start. No, 66. Can't you hear that Duquesne whistle blowing? Choo-choo. 
we're it's back. DK Whistle, folks. We're 2012. Back to, we're back to Tempest. We're back, how else would we start it off? So there's a lot of Tempest on this list. And, <laughs> I, you know, one of us loves Tempest very much. The other one, you know, likes Tempest a lot. Um, and so between those two uh, factors, you get a lot of bullying on one side and a lot of um, submissive and acceptance, uh, uh, sub- submissive and accepting I Attitude. will gladly say the Duquesne Whistle was on my list, I think right around this number, uh, right in the kind of 60s, 70s. See, I, I didn't have to push too hard on this one, and there's a good it's reason. A great one. You know, like you just said, without even me uh, pointing a gun at you, it's a great one. Uh, <laughs> Duquesne Whistle, what, what does there say about Duquesne Whistle? It's just such a, um, a, a song that feels like, a, like an old song. Like a like a song from from days gone by, but it has uh, it's just not it's it's just brand new. It's like w- the one of the few guys in the world who can bring a song out that feels like it it could have existed for a hundred years, and uh, it, it's an instant classic in my opinion. Instant classic, very chipper opener. Another great. Side one, track one from Bob here, uh, signaling, I think, a complete departure from where we last left him on the Together Through Life record. This doesn't sound anything like what he was going on, to, uh, uh, going through on that record in a great way. Um, and isn't really super representative of too much of what you get on Tempest because Tempest is sort of a grab bag. He goes all over the place in terms of, you know, moods and, and stuff like that. Um, same, sort of similar to what he does on Love and Theft. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, he sounds energized and, and, uh, happy and, and chipper and, and ready to rock and roll. Also <laughs> and, should be noted all timer music video. Yeah. Which great, I didn't know great video. until you, uh, advised me to watch the, it. The video is basically Bob Dylan's version of 500 days of summer. And I mean right. that in the, in the best possible way where it feels like a, like a, airplane style parody of that movie where like <laughs> if you ever watched that movie and thought, Oh, this sucks. Then uh, Bob Dylan is there to like greet you with this music video in which the Joseph Gordon-Levitt sir get, gets the shit beaten out of him. He gets exactly what he deserves the entire time. <laughs> and Bob Dylan is just walking by with like a cool posse of a posse, uh, East absolutely. L.A. Uh, denizens sort of um, strolling through the streets and uh, looking badass. And meanwhile, this jaunty little number is playing in the background. I... I just have to ask you literally like, what is there not to like? I, I yes. can't find it if, if there is anything. Absolute, just stone cold delight. There's no question. Next song. 65. You ain't going nowhere. 1974. This one's for you. Stephen Hyden. We've got <laughs> some of the, uh, the basement tapes up on this list. Yes, this, uh, I think the the best version that Bob ever recorded of this is actually from the Greatest Hits collection, the Greatest Hits 2, uh, where he kind of cleaned it up and it's sort of like a studio outtake, um, not the actual Basement Tapes recording. The best, mm-hmm. best version of this song, for my money, is the Birds version off of uh, Sweetheart of the Rodeo, but, you know, this isn't a Birds podcast. So you're already sort of, like, lessening the impact of our decision to put this Well, on. I mean, I'm just trying to contextualize, just make sure that we're all on the same page here. Ooh-wee, uh, ride, ride me high. Tomorrow's the day. The day. My, bride's my bride's coming, coming home. Come. Lyrics don't make uh, any sense whatsoever. Down in the easy chair. You know, down, something yep. I noticed, something I'm going to have to endure, I mean, watch recently uh, in the near future, 
is going to be the Bob Dylan musical, um, Girl from the North Country, in which yes. this is. Oh, a yeah, this song, song is in one of those numbers, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I watched <laughs> them perform it, and it was just like, it doesn't do them any favors, the fact that the song <laughs> makes zero sense. I have my own ideas of what a good Bob Dylan musical would be like. Namely, I think they should have just done the obvious thing and made a Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid musical, a story that's ready-made for you and has plenty of opportunity to fill in great Bob Dylan songs. Anyway, not to digress too much, but... Um, that's going to be that's going to be the Patreon uh, uh, <laughs> reward for 500 subscribers. We're actually going to write it and then put on a reading of the play right. on the on the podcast. Anyway, I'm getting off track. This is a great song and it's it's pure fun and I like it the way that it is. You know, I like the the basement tapes version cuz it feels just free and easy and crucially makes you you don't care when you're listening to this that it makes zero sense. You just you're listening and you go, yeah. I'm yeah, I think down in the easy chair. Down sure. in the easy chair, exactly. This is really kind of like uh, best um, best case scenario for any of the basement tapes recordings. I think as as far as I'm concerned or we're concerned here, just easy, fun music that you can just kind of throw on in in the background and have a lot of fun with. Um, and not really worry yourself too much about it, and it doesn't drag on too long. It's just like it's a perfect little morsel in and out. It's like under two or under not under two, under three minutes, something like that. And then you're on to the next. You know, it's just it's a it's a delight, uh, and it doesn't overstay its welcome. And neither will this commentary on it. What do we have next? Sixty four, uh, a late edition, um, but I, I think one that deserves to be here nonetheless. In the summertime, nineteen eighty one. In the summertime is um, what, what can I say? It's a it's a song that makes itself known instantly with it's like about the summer, a beautiful and evocative and just like heart grabbing uh, harmonica, and uh, the fact that the song is so simple just doesn't even matter. It just evaporates in that summer heat, and uh, the song is uh, terrific. It's great. <laughs> That was a very, that was a very on cinema <laughs> review of that song. <laughs> Five bags of uh, of summer of of a summer drink like lemonade. Five, yeah, Five. and and one shot of love, and one shot of love of popcorn. <laughs> It, it uh, once again, I think this uh, this section of the list has sort of unwittingly become like the uh, the the easy breezy section. But you know, Bob is really good at writing easy breezy kind of songs and music. You know, it's uh, it, 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 there's plenty of dark, uh, lengthy, tortured uh, masterpieces in the discography. But there's also just as many. You know, he's he's just having fun strumming a guitar and uh, and and making some music that you want to hear. This song. I think works. I think like shot. Well, well, you know, we'll we'll save a lot of the shot of love, uh, heavy conversation for the shot of love revisited episode, I which I know everyone's a shot of. Uh, I'm sorry. Yes. Okay. Uh, I know everyone's champing at the bit for that. Uh, but champing. I, I, Why do you always say champing? Because it's champing. It's champing. It's chomping at the bit. It's champing. I promise you. I've 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 had this argument with Grace before, and I've looked it up. It's champing. Champing. All right. I've never heard of anyone champing or a horse for that matter champing anything. Champing at the bit. That's what they do. Uh, Shot of love. The production on the record, kind of here and there, everywhere, all over the place. This is one where I think it it kind of works nicely with the actual recorded material. It's sort of a it's it's a, it's a heavy kind of production. I would say there's an, it is not necessarily a light touch here, but it suits the song. Sort of syrupy, 
uh, and and just kind of um, you know uh, intoxicating almost. You just close your eyes, you lean back in your rocking chair on the porch, you tilt your straw cap up, and you, you, and you do a big you, you do a big hit of ketamine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is a this is like a not a, it's a song that doesn't benefit from like deep thinking. I would just say, but if yeah, you're in the uh, zone, then you know you're gonna love this. Then you're gonna love it. Well said. Uh, 63, Forever Young, 1974, slow version. You know, it's funny. I saw somebody, I don't remember who, forgive me. Somebody on Twitter pointed out that the best versions of Forever Young, uh, included, which they were referring to the one from, uh, the, uh, Shadow Kingdom, Shadow Kingdom. And also on, um, uh, you know, the one with the band, the last waltz. Sure. The two best versions they were saying were the ones where Dylan didn't sing the chorus. Interesting. I didn't see that tweet. I didn't ever think of it that way. But those are great versions. I mean, the that that Shadow Kingdom version in particular, I think, has already emerged just a week after the show performance, whatever took place, as like, you know, oh, it's everyone's favorite. Yeah, that and um, uh, what was it you wanted? I think are the ones that everyone's still talking about here. Uh, a few days down the line, for great reason. They're great songs. What, great what do you think? Does he not sing the chorus in Last Waltz? Um, Is that the case? I don't remember you know, off the top of my head. Yeah, I don't either. We're going to have to save that for the Last Waltz episode. But in any case, he did not sing the chorus in the version on Shadow Kingdom, and I have to agree that I didn't miss it at all. And so as good as this song is, I think that it can be improved by kind of just cutting the chase. That chorus does sort of stretch it out in a way that I don't think even is flattering to the song because the lyrics and the basic message is so profound that you don't need to give it any extra uh, time. It's just, it's better just to hear it, hear what it has to say and let it, let it go that way. It, it, it's a a penetrating and a truly uh, effortless, but strong, powerful song is how it comes across. Yes, absolutely. You know, kind of perfect in its in its simplicity here. Uh, in the, one of the best examples of this early '70s songwriting style that we'll see uh, appears a couple of more times later on down the list of just the like stone cold simplest universal kind of uh, lyrics that are brilliant in their lack of pretension and embellishment and stuff like that. Just cutting right to the heart. I do kind of wish that he hadn't included the second version of the song on the record, thinking back to Planet Waves, you know, yeah, the, the faster version. Yeah, it seems a little bit like a cop-out, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, which I, I understand he, he, I think that was the version he originally wanted to have on the record, because he was worried that the slow version of the song was a little too corny, and then someone was like, why don't you just put both of them on there, and I think that he ended up doing that. So if that's what we had to do to get this version of the song on the record in the first place, you know, it is what it is, but looking at it here 50, 60 years later, that you know that that the the what is it the forever young continued or forever young yeah I think it's labeled forever young continued at least on like streaming services it's just like you know it, it, you're almost undercutting your message at that point frankly weaker people were saying oh isn't this kind of maudlin isn't this a little corny no you don't need a fast version of it Bob Dylan and I right. think he, the most important thing though is to to recognize that he knows that now certainly yeah all the renditions of this live are as they should be the right version, the slow version, you know, kind of the, the masterful 
take. But I, you know, I, I think I guess it does kind of speak to that headspace that he was in in 1973, 74, where he's just kind of uncertain about himself and isn't isn't clear what direction he's going. He's making um, uh, soundtrack records. He's got Columbia putting out fake greatest hits. CDs under his, or not CDs, but albums under his name. It's just sort of a tenuous period of time uh, before he he found his groove again. Forever Young, it almost feels un, like lowly ranked, sixty three. You know, yeah. I feel like this. I feel like this could have been like in the top twenty, but there's so many other great songs. It's just well, so know. many other more more fascinating songs. As great as it is, it's not one that is really that fun to talk about. It's more right. just like profound to experience. So. I mean, yeah, I agree that it could have been higher, but... Um, That's the thing with a lot of these songs. Any of them could be in the top 20, uh, depending on the day of the week. At a certain threshold, it, it just becomes like, yeah, what mood you're in. So what mood were we in when we made this list? What's next? What do we have next? Uh, we're fast-forwarding here. 62, Cold Irons Bound 1997. Jumping 23 years up in the future... This is one that we've covered. Uh, I, think, I think we talked about Cold Irons Bound pretty extensively. Go, go uh, uh, subject yourself to five hours worth of discussion of this and other similar era songs on the Patreon episodes about Telltale Signs. Uh, but one of the most badass songs in the discography, quite simply. Yeah. I, I think it serves a unique purpose on the original record in that, you know, so many of the songs are really kind of, you know, crying in your beer, navel gazy kind of things appropriately. So, you know, it's, it's a very moody and atmospheric record that this is a really nice kind of like uh, clearing of the palette here towards the end of the record where you switch gears suddenly and Bob is back into ass kicking mode really for the first time in a long time. Um, you know, considering what he'd put out previous to this over the preceding 10, 15 years uh, news just broke this last week after the springtime in New York set was announced yeah. that apparently next year's bootleg series release is going to be 25 years of time out of mind. So Lord only knows what they is do. in the vaults from that one. There's probably an entire other version of the record I mean, minus Lanois. That yeah, it's to thrilling to imagine that. I'm so excited to even think about it's that. That's Jack just... Frost presents Time Out of Mind wow. 25 years later. Like that, that's... Don't even get me started, boy. We're gonna get uh, we're gonna get all horned up for that one when that comes around. Sixty one million dollar bash, nineteen seventy five. Uh, the best song on the basement tapes <laughs> might be a hot take, but like to me, the basement tapes is its best when it is this silly, like absurdly confident. What it sounds like, basement tapes. You know, there's people like tooling around in the fucking basement in a house, like in in the fucking middle of nowhere in upstate New York. This is a very basement, basementy kind of song. It is a hilarious. It's so funny. It's so fun. And I just frankly don't look to the basement tapes for it's profundity on the level of like. Bash. I don't want it to be like. I don't treat it the same way I would treat other. Dylan records. I think of it as something else. And I think it's a profound record in its own way in terms of how, uh, free and fun and, and light it can be and how profound it can be through that. And I think this song actually, if I can make a reach here, like, uh, 
I don't know if you saw the movie The Beach Bum, the Harmony Korine movie. I did see The Beach Bum, yes. It, this song kind of gives me that same feeling. It's like a movie that just feels like totally ridiculous, but nonetheless, it, it, it leaves me as an artwork with like a really a big smile and actually a kind of a profound uh, sense of pleasure. It's uh, it's a great little delight, you know. Well, we're we're still in that uh, that that uh, trinkets and trifles section of the list, I think. But the, the that's a, a serious portion of Bob's songwriting canon, and it's a significant portion of the American songwriting canon. And yeah, I mean, the Basement Tapes in general, like, gives you this sort of like more textured, I think, and, and broader and deeper appreciation and understanding of what all of these incredible musicians were interested in and capable of, um, uh, especially, you know, considering that this record came out in 1975, like before, this is 15 years before the even the first bootleg series ever even came out. Um, you know, people just didn't have the, I think, understanding of what Bob was really interested in um, and, and what was informing him to the level that, that we all kind of take for granted uh, at this day and age. So I think there's a you know historical curio element to the Basement Tapes that's sort of been lost um, a little bit up until now, uh, and hopefully we'll get to get into that more when we get into the Basement Tapes uh, bootleg series coming up on Patreon in a few weeks. But uh, yeah, mil- Million Dollar Bash, it's what, you know, it's the Million Dollar Bash. What there's, <laughs> what more is there to say, truly? Ooh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a... Uh... It's the million dollar bash. It's the million dollar bash. It's the million dollar bash. Sixty foot of pride, nineteen eighty three. So this by is, Lou Reed. This is a yeah by Lou Reed. I mean, made famous by Lou Reed. This made famous, like, yeah, as made famous by Lou Reed. It's a song that was made famous by Lou Reed covering it one time. <laughs> like yes, but it's a great song. Uh, in that, I mean. You, you put this on the list, and I'll let, I'll let you take it away. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely one of mine here. I, it's such a moody and just fucking badass cut, and, you know, one of numerous tracks, I think, that didn't make Infidels, that could have made Infidels, that would have made Infidels a great record. Um, we're going to get to dive very deep into that here in a couple of weeks, fortunately. There's that fantastic version of the sort of like proto cut of this song. That's the one cut that they've released from the record so far too late, which is equally fascinating in its own right. Sounds like a totally different song. Um, but yeah, I mean the original foot of pride or the, you know, kind of the, the master foot of pride that we've been, uh, listening to since 1991, when it was released on the original bootleg series, you know, that Knopfler guitar is just absolutely like I, 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 I sense chills down my spine every time I hear it. And the sort of fire and brimstone element to um, the lyrics that Bob's got in here, singing "Amazing Grace" all the way to Swiss, uh, all the way to the Swiss banks. Uh, it's it's such a you know, uh, like this wasn't really a, a a mood or a the the approach that he was taking much in the '80s after he finished with you know the Christian stuff. He kind of set the the angry preacher man stuff aside. Not that this is even a Christian kind of song. It just it's badass. I don't know what else to say. Uh, some some rock when and the roll foot of just pride is badass. Down. Oh, I don't know what the foot. Of, I, I like don't really know what he's saying in this song, but I know that it's like something about how 
Yeah, Foot of Pride is some sort of biblical illusion or something, which wasn't even there in Too Late. You know, the, the concept of Foot of Pride is not there in that originally. And so when he turned it into this, like, harder, edgier kind of song, that got grafted on after the fact. Um, I don't know. It's like, it's like they're, they're almost two different songs, even though they're the same set of lyrics for 75% of it. It's, it's really kind of fascinating the way that it works. When the foot of pride comes down. Oh, no, I ain't going back when the foot of pride. Yeah, I, like, really don't know what he's saying. <laughs> What's next? Uh, well, it's... <laughs> I wonder how many more minutes we can spend on this one. 59, 1989, Dignity. <laughs> you know, Ian... Dignity... D- dignity ain't never You, do, been you know what it's never... <laughs> it's never been photographed. What's next? 58, uh, When He Returns, 1979. Now, this is a song that is all about dignity in a way. Absolutely. This is a song about, uh, if you had any doubt about Bob Dylan's commitment to Christ, then I think that you should listen to this song. And uh, retroactively, you know, I think it, it sort of, this song works to make you like reconsider maybe your knee-jerk takes about the Christian period because I don't believe it's possible to really listen to this song, give it your full attention, and then come away still feeling like, oh, this is stupid. Or this yeah. is like just like the work of like a confused idiot. Like this is a song that that actually feels more focused, more po- full of pa- personal passion and more um, more serious than most of what came 10 years before or after it. Yes. And it happens to be a song about Jesus Christ. And uh, I think it, it, it works as sort of like a crucial uh, linchpin in the, in the Christian era of Dylan's career. Absolutely. Yeah, it's some um, just spectacular songwriting. You know, he was really in this, in this era, this period of time, you know, kind of veering back and forth between these really kind of like angry and vituperative songs that what a fucking word. What did you just say? Vituperative. Okay. <laughs> I hope that means what I think it means. Now you're, now you're drawing too much attention. I mean, to I it. don't know, but like, go, go off. Let's see. Define vituperative. Uh, bitter and abusive. Yes. Damn. Okay. So that was <laughs> yeah, coming in was with thinking. the $6 word. Big, big you know, brain on to, Ian. This is, this is how I proved to everyone that I went to grad school. There it is. Um, uh, he was veering back and forth between these vituperative kind of songs uh, where he's really angry and, you know, just kind of shitty um, uh, towards people in his life. And then also these just like really stunning and literate and um, just natural flowing liquid kind of uh, uh, lyrics about uh, the the God and Savior Jesus Christ. And this is one of the latter. Uh, you know, I think you're totally right, Evan. You know, like... How can you how can you deny lines like like it is only he who can reduce me to tears? Don't you cry and don't you die and don't you burn like a thief in the night? He'll replace wrong and right when he returns. Even if you yourself are a godless heathen, which I th- think I speak for both of us when I say that we are. I'm not. I like God. Okay. <laughs> uh, how how can you not be appreciative or like like? happy for someone like Bob when he's finding this much meaning in something in his life at this point, especially after all that he'd been through. Like, even if you think all this shit is hokum and bunk and whatever, like 
finding, seeing that someone that you care about so much, an artist that you, you know, presumably means so much to in your life has found some sort of answer in his life is so, it's, it's, it's incredible. Uh, and, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's really a, a diamond uh, of the songwriting of this era. Also just an absolutely incredible vocal take. It's just a piano, just Bob singing. This was originally supposed to be sung, I think, by Carolyn Dennis and some of the other backup singers that were down there at Muscle Shoals with him. And then Jerry Wexler ended up rethinking it and just having Bob take it over on his own. And it absolutely makes sense. It's just, it's sort of a, an absolutely incredible high note to end the record on. Single solo spotlight, Bob on stage at a grand piano. It's a real showstopper. Yeah, if you, you don't have to believe in God to appreciate the song, but if you do, it's probably extra good. <laughs> What's next? 57, All the Tired Horses, 1970. Nothing else like it. Mm. Um, probably an accident. <laughs> and completely uh, wonderful. You know, I don't, I don't know how much I can spin out on this one. You'd love it. You gotta love it. It's, I don't know what else to say. It's so it's so much fun. The strings. I don't, I don't know how it happened, why it happened. I just like that it happened, and I don't care to look into it. Correct, exactly. Also, another just absolute stroke of genius making this side one track one on self portrait. I feel Go like Dylan just realized. Yeah, Dylan realized like okay, somehow I have this song in my hands, um, <laughs> and he was wise enough to use it. Wise enough to well. put it at the very top of the record and draw way more attention to it than it ever would have gotten if he had buried it halfway down in between Little Sadie and Belle Isle. And it poses an important question. What's next? Uh, Another great side one, track one, although a very different side one, track one here, many years later, 56, Tweedly D and Tweedly Dumb. Ooh! Mm. Mm. I still, I'm so annoyed that I don't know what song he's ripping off here because I know that there is a song that has the exact same oh right uh, like line. we uh, talked about on the ding 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 yeah a record uh, 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 on an episode that hasn't come out yet yes um, fun episode yeah an episode in which we will revisit some of uh, the love and theft all of the love and theft but uh, from a different perspective yes a live point of view I should say was a very special guest um Anyway, yeah, this song is just um, to to my mind, it's it's just like one of the most gleeful and um, absolutely, it's a turning point song. It is an absolute turning point in in Dylan's music and in his lyrical uh, focus. Like just making a song about Tweely D and Tweely Dumb, throwing knives into the tree, uh, big man of dead man's bones, got their noses <laughs> to the grindstone. Uh, Looking dripping for a pecan pie. Brains in the pot, they're beginning to boil, they're dripping with garlic and olive oil. I love when Bob Dylan mentions food, and yes. it's especially great when he mentions brains do and a, garlic. Like, we got to do a, th- a, a playlist uh, that's just food. Yeah, well, there's a, there's a theme time episode that's just food. You know, we right. should do an episode that's just us doing his recipes and, and things that he's mentioned right. on theme time. Yes. Another That'll- crazy idea I had for an episode, which... Maybe I'll just mention here is, is I think at some point, maybe as like a Patreon goal, 
We should do an episode where we try every Heaven's Door. Aren't there just three? <laughs> There's actually several that are um, like above one thousand dollars. Okay, all right. <laughs> well, we might need to save that for. There's, uh, there's for one that's like like seventeen hundred dollars. Once I'll tell you this: if ever we get to the point, when we get to the point where we get over that much money, yes, I will when make we can sure quit that our I'm jobs in the, and become professional podcasters. No, I, I will just make sure that I'm in the same place as you at some point, and we can get a bottle of that. We'll use the month's Patreon money to purchase the the bootleg series Heaven Store, mm-hmm. and we will both taste it, and we'll we'll try all of them, and we will get um. We, we will get like Tweedly D and Tweedly Dumb. <laughs> we'll go Tweedly D mode. Yeah, we'll go Tweedle mode. <laughs> Tweedle mode. What's next? Uh, uh, 55 Working Man's Blues number two. We're, so, in, we're into the 21st century here, folks. You like this song probably more than I do, but I, I think it's nice, but you're the big booster. Well, we'll you, I'll take this one. You can take the next one because this will be a nice uh, uh, heads and tails here uh, on Double Shot of Modern Times. Um, just a stunning, stunning song, I think, and completely out of left field, uh, particularly considering what was going on in Bob's career at this time and uh, his seemingly, you know, kind of lack of interest in, you know, what what kind of made him famous initially, the quote-unquote protest songs and the attention to any sort of, you know, socioeconomic reality outside of, you know, um, uh, the the universe in which his songs take place. Uh, this is just a super. It's like it's completely straight face. There's no sort of wink or nod or anything here, or or um, you know, uh, attempt at um, uh, winking at the camera or being sarcastic or whatever. It's just like an absolutely beautiful, simple, straightforward like kind of ballad about boots and shoes. Boots and shoes about the plight of the proletariat. And uh, their buying power going down. In 2006, this is a really kind of like, you know, I think we talked about this a little bit on the, the Modern Times episode with Max, but like, you know, this is a year before the recession kicks in. Uh, so he's sort of once again tapping into this like spirit that's animating the country that hasn't really come to the full front, the full four quite yet, but he's aware of it in advance somehow. I, I don't know. It's, it's, um, he got some stock really, tips. He got some insider trading and knowledge. Yeah, well, watch out. You're, you're, you're treading close to tropes right there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know. It's just a beautiful song. Uh, and, uh, it's so heartfelt and, and pure and, uh, unexpected. I think it's, it's a fantastic, um, oddball, choice on modern times which uh, brings us i think to the next one here 54 spirit on the water 2006 spirit on the water i mean i forget what those lyrics are but this is a song that is uh, darkness on the face of the deed i believe you're looking for we uh is it not the deep uh yeah deep yeah darkness on the face of the deep Great line. I mean, this is, uh, as we talked about with Moonlight, it, it's a similar song that's sort of like of this proto-American um, songbook style. It's like Dylan doing Bing Crosby and bringing his own, like, special sauce to the to the table. Um, 
And it's like so long for how, for how it's like almost eight minutes long. Yeah. It's a long song, but it doesn't feel like it. And it's just like so easy and breezy and fun to listen to. And, um, yeah, it's just like, what's not to like, just give me, give me that song. That's good stuff. Yes. I can't ever keep myself from just like snapping my fingers when yeah. I listen to the song. It's literally the most finger snapping kind of song in the entire discography. I've got a, I, I, I was thinking recently when I listened to this song that it might be about him visiting a prostitute or something, excuse me, sex worker. I don't want to be canceled here. Um, does that say, does that, is that completely out of, uh, out of the realm of possibility? Ian, I'm, uh, sorry, I'm not going to be able to do this podcast with you anymore. Okay. <laughs> Had to happen eventually. Sometimes I wonder why you can't treat me right. You do good all day. Then you do wrong all night. When you're with me, I'm a thousand times happier than I could ever say. What does it matter? What price I pay? They're bragging about your sugar brag about it all over town, put some sugar in my bowl, I feel like laying down. I think he's just talking about sugar. Hmm. All right. I'll let that line speak for itself. 53, keeping the 21st century streak alive here, honest with me. You know, I live in the city that never sleeps. You live in the city that only sleeps, San Francisco. Yes, it does and, sleep quite and, a bit. And I live in New York City, baby. Greatest city in the world. Greatest city in the world. Greatest uh, bed bed bugs in the world. Greatest, what, what do you have, rat mites? <laughs> hey, I don't have those anymore. We got no, that Okay, they're gone. <laughs> right. I don't even want to advertise that. Why are you talking about this? <laughs> we had we had a problem. We, got, we dealt with it. <laughs> okay. It's greatest city in the world, baby. Uh... Honest yeah, we, what we have is a city where people still can, with some good reason, come to it for any interest in culture and, and arts and, and, and music. Whereas you live yes. in a city that's been sucked dry by yuppie vampires. So, Unlike saying. New York, which doesn't have any yuppies in it anywhere. Hey, it's, it's dying, but it's not dead. <laughs> <laughs> um, what a great song, Honest With Me. Kind of a preview of the Tempest voice, honestly. Yeah, kind this of a preview of the Tempest spirit. You know, the Tempest uh, state of mind. Yeah, I could see this on Tempest. It's got sort of that ass-kicking element to it, and there's a little kind of uh, uh, undercurrent of violence and excitement yeah, e- equal, to it. Equal parts ass-kicking and having your ass kicked. That's that's how I would classify that sort of <laughs> energy. It's like you're. It's like a, a big tussle with like Popeye and Bluto. You know, like a big smoke cloud or the like right. stars and Fisk jumping out of it. I saw a good um, Popeye cartoon on Twitter this morning. I saw it too. I, he, I retweeted it. Oh, that's probably where I got it. Where Popeye? Well, I, I saw it because then, Will Sloan, friend of the podcast, uh, of the pod. Mr. Movies of of Jokerman, he retweeted a great Popeye and Bluto brawl, and yes. I love to see one of those. Yeah, they got into it in like an old like oven, and Popeye was popping out of the different doors and bashing Bluto right. in the head. And Popeye and just Bluto got trapped in a wardrobe at one point and came out in a dress. In a dress, pulls the dress <laughs> that was off. So in, good. In, in that one was gesture. great. 
That's yeah, it. absolutely classic bit that never gets old. Just seeing a big tough guy surprisingly emerge in a dress, it's just it's always gonna make you laugh. Why are you assuming that Bluto identifies as a as a man? <laughs> All right. Fifty two, <laughs> as I went out one morning, nineteen sixty-seven. Uh from the John Wesley Harding record. Uh this is maybe my well, I'm not gonna say my favorite. You already song said it's like you said something else was your favorite. You said um uh, St. Augustine was like maybe your favorite from that record. Well, but that's, that's the, the thing, thing about is, this record. About, there are so many uh, songs Wesley. that could be your favorite on it. And I was very hyperbolic, but like not in a way I would rescind about uh, Pity the Poor Immigrant. Pity the Poor Immigrant, being, yeah, know, which like is also an incredible song. Yeah, uh, great stuff. I, this is... This is, I think, as close to like like a short story as uh, uh, as Bob ever wrote. Um, it's uh, it's just this like momentary glimpse into this weird interaction between apparently an enslaved woman and some sort of traveler uh, along a road in the South, and there's just this cutting and striking moment of drama, and then it ends, and it's it's on to the next track. Um, so moody, it's such a beautiful little like harmonica embellishment in between the verses. Uh, and uh, you know, as we've talked about, I think endlessly on any time we've talked about John Wesley, just the the band sounds absolutely incredible. The fucking bass playing on this song alone just is like it, it puts it puts it up here. Um, I don't know. This is uh, uh, another just immaculate little morsel from this record. Agreed. <laughs> All right. Well said. 51, Red River Shore, 1997. Okay. So for me, this one could be like in the top 10. Top 10? Maybe. That's like it, on, a, on a certain type of day, it could be. But hmm. I think it could be earlier, even like it could be higher up than this. I mean, I'm happy to have it here just because, hey, it's that's still pretty high considering we're doing 100 songs. Pretty but- high. You know, Bob Dylan, he's put out a lot of good songs. Yeah, I just, I, there's something about this song. It's like, I didn't even think much of it when I first heard it. And it just kind of kept growing on me and growing on me and growing on me. And then I just started to feel like in some ways it's kind of like just an ideal Bob Dylan song. Like, I just don't know what else I want out of a Dylan song. Most Mostly like, most of the time I don't know what I want more than this. Like, it, this is just such a... um it's got everything you'd want. It's got like this sort of melancholy sense of regret and loss and also this like romantic um, and wistful feeling. And mm-hmm. um, it's got a Spanish guitar. It, it, like, sure. It's just uh, kind of uh, if there's something missing, I can't find it. It's sort of a smorgasbord of all of uh, all your favorite elements here. I also uh, really new- love that it's it's a Lanois production that feels really like it gives enough it gives a lot of room. It does not feel right. like full chock full of effects or um, or stylistic flourishes. It just feels like Dylan is just rolling, just going. Yeah, it has and, and it has room to breathe. So nice. I wonder if there is like a. I'm guessing there is, in fact, like a a, a more Lanois-ified version of this well, song. We may find out two, uh, before too long. Right, on the next bootleg series. There's the two versions of this song, the normal version and the accordion version. Um, 
and uh, there's probably some super reverby, drenched, you know, uh, spacey version as well out there, which would be interesting to hear. But I, I do think that really just like the first version on Telltale Signs, I think it's like the seventh or eighth track on the first disc, is, uh, you know, that's the one. And it's this beautiful little story song. doesn't really make sense um, in the... Um, uh, songwriting mode that he was in uh, on the Time Out of Mind period, um, which is probably why it wasn't included. You know, if this had, if this had stuck around into Love and Theft, I think it would have made a ton of sense. But I'm glad that we've got it because it really is just a, a, an immaculate little... I keep saying immaculate in this episode. I'm going to stop saying that. It's a great song. We love it. What are we up to? Uh, 50. Isis. 1975. All you, buddy. And specifically, this is Isis from the Rolling Thunder Review. This oh, is not okay. Isis from track two on the Desire record, which All you right. In that were case, just... I, can, I can give you a, a, a big hefty and hearty thumbs up because thumbs up. the live version is like, I would say about three to four times better than the record version. It's uh, yes. way yeah. better. It's better. The song, period. yeah. The the album version of this song is fine. Uh, it's the, it's fine. It's an interesting it's, lyric. It's an interesting story. Um, but it's it's just sort of it doesn't have. He didn't get it. Uh, he didn't really bring it to life. Uh, but if you hear any of these Rolling Thunder versions, and there's several of them, there's the one on the Bootleg Series Five. There's a bunch from the other Rolling Thunder. Um, uh, like, you know, complete collection. There's something from the Sidetracks compilation. I think there's one version on Biograph even. There's a zillion different versions of Isis Live. Any of them really are just fucking insane. Um, You know, the Scarlet Rivera violin, the drums, the screaming on Bob's part. It's just like, it's it, it feels like it's electrified uh, and, and completely brought into a new dimension compared to the Desire version. Yeah, kicks ass. I don't know what and else to say. And especially the one thing where he goes, uh, "Yes, yeah." <laughs> if one you the wanted best to, yes, yeah, I said yes. One of the best yeses of all music. A uh, pretty good yes, absolutely. Very, very uh, um, uh, substance abuse sounding. Um, what do we have next here? I think he's just in love. What's right. next? 49, Love Sick, 1997. Speaking of love. Another side one track one. No, wow, we got a lot of side one track ones. And boy, I'm not going to spoil it, but the next one is also side one track one. It's pretty bap, good with these side one bap, track ones. I'm rocking. Great intro there featuring Raymond Zarek from The Doors. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. He's he's not, but it has that uh, that next whiskey bar type of type of feeling. Right. What a cool song! It's uh, cool, and um, it's sponsored by um, uh, Victoria's, Victoria's Secret. Secret. Yes, absolutely. So it's sexy. It's a sexy song. So it is honestly. It is a sexy song. What a weird song! Or just like. This like, imagine hearing this song for the first time in 1997 after whatever you had been doing uh, for the previous seven years since Under the Red Sky came out. Like you're a Bob Dylan fan, 
and then you're like, oh, well, here comes the next Bob Dylan record. It's probably not going to be that good because, you know, he put out those cover records a couple years ago. Those are all right. I wasn't very interested. And the last record before that was like not good at all. There's no way this one's going to be any good. And then this is the first thing you drop the needle and here. It's just like, man, he's, he's good at sequencing records. I don't know how much I can say that. Um, it's a pretty simple track, you know. Um, there's not too much to uh, intellectualize on this one. He's sick of love. And he's in the thick of it. And he's in the thick of it, exactly. This kind of love, Ian, I'm so, Makes him love sick. I'm so sick of it. Yeah. Um, 48, Girl from the North Country, 1969. This is sneaking in under the Red Sky. rules of this list. <laughs> Because this is the Nashville Skyland version, not the uh, freewheeling version, which is a very different kind of song. For my money, this is the version. Uh, I think we've talked about this before. I think you're a little more partial to the freewheeling version. Yeah, but you you like the duet this here. I mean, it's yeah. obviously wonderful to hear this version. It is wonderful to hear this version, absolutely. Uh, and, I mean, there, there's just, you can't say too much about Johnny's presence on this uh, on this song, right next to Bob with that just absolutely incredible voice. Again, the first time you ever hear this voice, completely out of nowhere, maybe you don't even know that that's Bob Dylan singing, uh, if this is the first time you've heard this song coming it's from... It's the croon. It's the croon, the croon. coming from. Correct, yes. The, the croon, the croon. Um, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's, I, I'm, I'm guessing for most people that like the freewheeling version of this song is the version. That's the song, the version they think of when they hear it. But for me, like when I think of this song, this is, this is it. And, and it's, um, it's, it's a complete reinvention of the song just a few years after it was originally recorded and written. And it isn't even a complete reinvention. It's a pretty simple, it's just slowed down. It's, you know, same, same-ish lyrics. The tempo is, is different, but the, the melody's pretty similar. Uh, it just occupies a completely different kind of realm in my brain, in my heart. Um, I don't know. It's, uh, it's beautiful. It's perfect song. Yeah, it's great to hear. What's next? I'll let you take this one. 47, Tempest, 2012. A lot of people think this song is a jokes-type song, and they think it's silly um, because it's about the Titanic. And um, I'm just here to tell a you... A real that tragedy, the, it should the be The Titanic known. is not silly. And uh, as, as, as much as it's been, like, suffused and, and just become, like, another pop culture signifier because of the film by James Cameron, um, it's... It was a real thing that happened. I don't know if you know that. I wonder re- what the it really happened. Of this song would have been like if, if that movie, the didn't Titanic come out. movie, had never been made. Yeah, I'll just say that. Like, uh, I don't really want to say too much about it because I know we're going to talk about it in the Tempest episode at some point, not too far away. I would just say, right. re-listen to this song and just consider that actually the Titanic was real, <laughs> and. Uh, Nobody really wrote a song about it. I mean, there is a song that this is based on. The original was by the Carter family, and it's like a three-minute song, um, which is, you know, it's like extremely similar in terms of the composition and the sound and everything, but it, it does not go as deep as this song does. And um, Dylan recognized that this is, you know, a big topic, mm-hmm. a big tragedy, a big ship. 
It's a big, big boat. A, and big and boat. a big, you know, jokes aside, massive tragedy that deserves a longer <laughs> song. And I would just recommend that you listen to this song and check your your ironic uh, s- snarkiness at the door and just listen to what he's actually saying. That's all I'll say. I think you might come out of the experience with a little bit more of an appreciation for this song if you just consciously decide, I'm not going to make this into like a punchline. I'm going to listen to what it has to say. <laughs> this song is so long. I'm just looking at the lyrics on the screen. It just takes forever to scroll. It's not that long when it comes down to it regarding that, like how many I, thousands of lives was it? Sure. You know? Yes. When you, when you divide the minutes of the song by each life lost, not just every uh, life lost, but every life that was affected by the track. I mean, everybody who sure. lost somebody that they loved, like everybody who it, it represents so much. I mean, I said, I wouldn't get too far into it, but this, this song it's not, it doesn't take a fucking uh, uh, philosopher to understand that there's so much to plumb uh, from the depths of the, of this tragedy and how 1600. much, it, how much it, uh, when the Reaper's task had ended, 1600 had gone to right. rest according to and, Bob. That's and just how much that, that says about America, about the, this, this literal ship that was like to usher in a new age <laughs> and uh, didn't, you know, it's just like, it's all right there in the song. I just say again, try to listen to it without like making it a joke to yourself. And I think you (laughs) might, you might get something out of it. We'll have more to say when we uh, do the Tempest episode. That said, it is, it is inherently, it's inherently funny. (laughs) Like It's, 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 you you just can't help but smile for the music, if nothing else. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. This is Bob prefiguring the sea shanty trend on TikTok by a decade. Um, yeah, we'll uh, you know we'll 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 plumb the depths. But on this it, but one this song would be interminable enough. if it was actually like dirge like and and like depressing sounding. So like the fact that it is kind of just this amble, it's it really a- does amble, go yeah, by. Yeah, it, just, it floats know, by because it's for just, a fourteen minute song about the Titanic. It gets from beginning to end pretty quickly. Oh, it's got some great lines and. You know, it covers the whole range of human experience. I'll, I'll stop there. What's the next song? Sure. Uh, we are at 46. Sarah, 1976. So just like the Titanic, a marriage can also um, collapse and <laughs> hit an iceberg, hit an iceberg and sink, sink well deep into the ocean. Killing. Cause the death of thousands. Thousands of dreams and hopes. Yeah. Right. Um. Probably the best song in Desire for my money. I don't know. I, th- I think some people... I actually just saw this. Uh, we, we can talk about this now. You were attempting to uh, be edgy on Twitter before we started recording. Okay, give me a break. Street I wasn't, was better I wasn't than Desire. Being, but it's not... I wasn't attempting to but be that's what I'm edgy. saying. Some of your claims are... Some of your claims are... Edgy. That's not even an edgy claim. Street legal is just better than desire. Yeah, I, I don't there's, think that's there's no debate on that. I one. don't think it's controversial, but a lot of people just like. I mean, this is like one of the big controversial stances of Jokerman podcast. It's just like, I think what it is is the the violin. I think there's some sort of like hex effect from the violin. Some sort of spell that they've it been cast. Like, in yes, trance exactly. In, it's cat. It literally cast a spell upon people, convincing them that desire well, is. It's a record that if that if it didn't have that have that violin, 
you just wouldn't have people giving a shit. I'm sorry. Like not as much as they do. It's a, it has well, that yeah, great, maybe. it has that great sound, which is like literally because of a, one great player, but it's, it's a vibes record. It's not as good as it's not as interesting. It's not as um, high stakes. It's not as personal. It's not as vulnerable with the exception of this song. Of this song, Sarah, which, as I just said, probably the best song, Desire. Also, maybe not coincidentally, the only song on Desire written by Bob Dylan instead of co-written by Bob Dylan and Jacques. And guess what? You can fucking tell. You can tell that this is... It sounds like a different It sounds like a song that is like the true uh, coda to, uh, to Blood on the Tracks, whereas the rest of the record sounds like a fun paperback that you read on the beach and forget about after you get home from vacation. <laughs> uh, I should immediately correct myself and say one more cup of coffee was also solo credited to Bob. Cool uh, song. I Great song. That. But uh, also good song. I wouldn't um, say, yeah, but, I mean, uh, it's just when people talk about desire, it's like, I'm just, I sometimes I'm just a little confused about like, what do you? We said, we had somebody say that Bob Dylan hasn't made a great album since desire. As much, right. I mean, there's people yes. who love Desire, but I think even if you love Desire, like it's in your top ten, you can agree he, that that's fucking bullshit. He's <laughs> you better not think that he hasn't made a good record since 1976. He made one um, in 1978. You know that's true. I think a lot of people are mystified when they hear the uh, the waxing rhapsodic over the Tempest record, just as you are mystified uh, over hearing others wax rhapsodic over Desire. That's the thing about Bob. There's so many different versions, so many different facets of the music and the personality and the man. There's something for everybody. It's a, it's a wide buffet. And yeah, and some people just, just can't take one. it straight. They have to have somebody else in the mix to uh, throw in some other lyrics that aren't as good, you know? Some people need some water in their heaven's door. Sarah's a great song uh, and a shockingly vulnerable and um, unvarnished look at what was going on in his life. He must have really been going through some shit to actually pen this song and sing it it directly to her on the other side of the glass in the studio. On the other side of the glass, yeah. And then leave it on the fucking record and let everyone else. Sarah is, yeah, just like as intimate a look as you can get. As we said recently, it's. um, it's it's pretty close to the the feeling that you get on certain songs in uh, Planet Waves, but it's like the other side of that coin. Like Wedding Song, you know, this right. is kind of like the <laughs> the other side of Wedding Song. You know, uh, to quote yes, uh, this is the- to quote Animal Collective, the other side of Takeout is mildew on rice, and this is the other side of Marriage <laughs> is is boy haven't 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 thought of that song in a long time. I think about that lyric like every week. <laughs> it's such a great line. That is, you know, there is something to that. It's a good song. Um, Sarah, great song. Also great song. 45, High Water for Charlie Patton, 2001. You love this song so much. And and I love this song, but I don't think as much as you do. Yes, I think think that is true. This is uh, somewhere in the top two or three on Love and Theft for me. Which uh, you know is a uh, top five. On I, I think it was at six on my list. I would probably have it in the top five if I redid that list. Now I put this above Blood on Blonde. Um, 
it's such a badass song. I don't know what to say. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it, he's, he's, he just was in this ass kicking mode, uh, and, and absolutely killing it at this moment in time. And the way that this song is realized on the record doesn't sound like anything else on Love and Theft with the like humming, uh, backing vocals, the maracas and these rolling thunder drums and the, the banjo that Charlie's just like absolutely wailing on from beginning to end. I, it's, I don't know. It, it, um, anytime I put this song on, I just feel like a surge of energy and, and um, lightning uh, flood my veins. Um, and it's just some absolutely striking and stunning lyrics, we, we, which we get into a little bit, uh, I think, in like you were talking about that episode that we haven't actually put out yet with um, uh, our great guests. But, uh, you know, it's, it's so much fun to listen to. It, it, it. It's it's very say. good. Um, there's some versions I like, I think, more than the record version. But that just goes to whenever right. that Cultural happens. Version is also whenever really that, that happens, I, I do think like, OK, well, if there's a version that exists that I think is better than the album version, then I have to conclude it's just like a, a, a blastic. You know, it's a great song. Yes. Yeah. I mean, some of these songs are worth having multiple versions of multiple interpretations of, especially later day material that he was playing so often with the never ending bands throughout the years that they could just whip up completely different versions seemingly on the uh, drop of a hat. You know, it's nobody like him folks. 44. We're going back in time once again on a night like this. Oh boy. 1974. On a night like this is uh, the it's it's so nice. This is so good to hear it. <laughs> it's so nice. <laughs> it's so nice. I love to hear this song so much. Sounds so good to my ear. Um, I love uh, on a night like this. It's uh, I, I like really can't fathom anybody disliking this song. It's just like pure. Pure endorphins, pure candy to my to my sensibilities, and it's uh, just the sound of cool dudes having a great time well, it's making cool rock and roll dudes. music. It's about one cool dude and his cool sweetie baby. <laughs> I don't know that I'm gonna sure. assume that it's about two men. No, no, no. But it's 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 not about on cool a night dudes. like it's this it, when it I kiss my like best cool friends. Dudes. This is something about yeah. me and Ian being snowbound in a cabin. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what can happen? Sure feels right. Oh, not like that's this. the that's the key line. Sure feels right. <laughs> feels good. <laughs> Just on a night like this, not on any on other a night, like this. On a night like this. We're something across the sure secret meaning. Right. <laughs> what a couple hot toddies can do to a to a fella. Uh, great, great uh, song, and one of the best openers, just like bar none. I mean, of any Dylan. Once record. again, side one, track one. So many good side one, track ones, man. Yeah, he's he's good at it. Uh, really, kind of the perfect summation of the entire Planet Waves project. I think I think this might be the highest ranking Planet Waves song on the list. Just scanning through things from here to the top, I think that looks correct. Which some people might be like, "Oh, how do you not put Forever Young above On a Night Like This?" I understand that. Also, a night like this is a perfect song. So, you know, it's going to be the best song from Planet Waves. That's why you put it first. Yeah. You yeah. put the best song. Forever first. Young has been. An, Sim- simple I'll math. say that Forever Young has been improved since the record version on Planet Waves. And I don't think that on a night like this has been uh, improved 
I think it's yes. perfect. I don't think on a night like this has been played. It's, since it's the been played, version. I think, but I don't think it's yeah, not not so much. It's it's uh, uh, it's great. Who knows? Maybe when he uh, when he comes back and you know plays the beacon for uh, another few nights later this year, he'll just completely reinvent it and turn it into a seven minute dirge. Oh, I hope he does that. Steely Dan announced a tour today. I know. I the, bomb, the, the, uh, the absolutely normal tour is called. Absolutely I love normal that tour. So half much. of which takes place in Florida. Yeah, I know. And I can't, I, I probably can't go to any of those shows because they're not, he's not, they're, they're not, not playing not at the playing Beacon. In New York yeah, anywhere. Like they should, yeah. They probably will do a Beacon run later in the year, presumably. But yeah, they're doing like a bunch of shows in um, Florida and then a couple in New Jersey. And they, they are doing some in New York somewhere, but like not anywhere close to the city. I don't know. Funny, funny folks. Funny guy, Don. Uh, 43. Ooh, that's a good one. Dark Eyes, 19. <laughs> oh, wow. We're getting into some good ones now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I've said a lot about this song, like maybe like a little bit uh, hyperbolically all through the Jokerman run of podcasts, but uh, Dark Eyes is just like all the more beautiful, even if it wasn't like a sort of surprise stunner, uh, a, a poignant song at the end of a record that's so gaudy and, you know, in some ways really great in its sort of, uh, absurd, uh, maximalism. This record's, this song still would, would be a standout no matter where it showed up. Cause I think it's just such a, right. a beautiful and, um, it's just, it's such a strong song with like hardly anything backing it up. It's just guitar. And it has that same energy yep. that you like the, uh, the best feelings that you get from stuff like "Cause uh, I've Been to You" or "Won't Gone Wrong," but it's a it's an original, and it, that's like still to this day a rare thing to to hear Dylan do a song so simple in its execution um, that has like that classic folk feeling while still being wholly original and giving you everything else you'd want out of a Dylan uh, a ballad. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I think part of the strength or like fondness for the song comes from the fact that it ends Empire Burlesque, which obviously sounds so different from this song, uh, especially with like Night Comes Falling from the Sky occurring just two songs before this. It's about as far away from this as you get. Um, but yeah, I mean, e- even on its own, even if this was on the end of, um, yeah, Good As I've Been to You, I think it would would stand out. Uh, and some just really striking lines also. It's only four verses long, I think. Uh, but like each and every line is absolutely just out of this park. The earth is strung with lovers' pearls. Uh, all I feel is heat and flame. Yeah. Uh, a million faces uh, at my feet, but all I see are From where you eyes. stand, reve- yeah, like, revenge is sweet. From where you stand, I'm sure it is. Um, right. You tell me revenge is sweet, rather. It's just such a... Uh, it's as I've said before, sort of the sound of Dylan like peeking out from all of this like shit heaped on him and his sound and all these people jumping into the studio, and then just like you get that that hint again that like no he's not gone he's not he's not really changed it's just like he's there still uh, beneath it all and it actually I think makes the whole rest of the record feel stronger for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um a real kind of striking victory from a guy writing songs like emotionally yours at this yeah. <laughs> at this moment in time and clean cut kid. Uh, I think both of which there are alternate versions of coming in addition to dark eyes on springtime in New York. I can't wait for the, the new version of clean cut kid. 
Um, what do we got next? Uh, 42. Ooh, we're fast forwarding back to the future here. Nettie Moore, 2006. Oh, I miss you, Nettie, Nettie Moore. Times cut. Oof. I'm a happiness. Oof. Of oh, what a song. Mm-hmm. I was just listening to this one before we started recording. I was buzzing through the playlist again, uh, brushing up on some of these. This is just still like I'm absolutely floored anytime I hear this song. It's one that's kind of hard. It's hard genius. to talk about a little bit. It's hard. Well, yeah, it really is because I was looking at the genius like lyric page um, and just like really kind of trying to understand exactly what was going on here. Like each and every line in the entire song, and it's like a seven minute song, is annotated which is like, it's, it's crazy to see that on Genius. Um, and like half these lines are uh, references or like bits and snatches stolen from old blues records. A quarter of them are uh, like um, references to his own songs and the last quarter are references to like biblical allusions and stuff. It's just, it's so densely packed with all the material that makes up like the entire tapestry of his life and his career. Um, and you know, even the, the deepest, darkest, uh, um, Dylan I don't think has decoded everything in here. I know I certainly haven't. Um, it's really just a song that you can, I think, gnaw on and chew on and keep, uh, getting something out of, um, you know, uh, regardless of how many times you it's a, to it. not so and unlike it's, on top dark, of that stunningly it's beautiful. kind of not unlike dark eyes in that sense. It, it feels like old and, and new at the same time. It's just kind of like you know, a reminder that there's at least one guy in the world who can just make songs that feel like they're from the future and from the past at the same time. Right. It does feel sort of unstuck from time, very much so, uh, as, as a lot on Modern Times does. But this one in particular, just the way that it's in dialogue with the blues tradition back into the 19th century and, you know, yeah, it's uh, a, his own it's like he's, discography. He's talking not just about, like, this uh, fictitious... Uh, woman or the character Nettie Moore it's like he's talking about like I miss you like everything I miss like every I I miss a whole way of life of life yeah Nettie Moore is this powerful symbol for like you know the the 1960s 1950s and and before um, like everything I think it's probably more more like everything that came that formed him without getting too poetic about it you know in my waxing on i i think that it it feels like a elegiac sort of song about just like his artistic view what's next fantastic song uh what is next we've got 41 if you ever go to houston mm. you do an accordion that's as good as I can do. Uh, I'm not an acapella guy. Uh, so much fun. Uh, you know, this isn't there. There isn't quite as much animating this track as uh, there is on Nettie Moore. I don't think there's as much to decode. No, this here, is not a decoding type of song. This is not a decoding song. But it's just like I don't know. It, I, it, it's a perfect. Song Somebody's going to ask, concerns. well, why'd you put it before Nettie Moore? There's no, there's right. no good reason other than the fact that it's so fun to listen to. Just <laughs> it fucking rocks is why. You know, I I recently um, heard the song that he he takes the line. Um, uh, if you ever go to Houston, you better walk right. Right. Yeah, yeah. You said yeah, this. Yeah, I to forget me, right? which song it was, though. <laughs> but it is. 
What? Did I? Do you remember? I don't. I remember you sent it to me, and I don't remember. What yeah, it was. I was listening to Theme Time Radio, and there was a song, in which oh, did he play it on? Yeah, theme time? it was a song where, where the, the the lyric, "If you ever go to Houston, you better walk right," is up in that song. Sure. Well, I'm sure that it's not that hard to uh, figure that out, but as we've established, we're no Dylanologists here. We're just here to have a good time. So if you ever go to Houston, kicks ass. I love it. Robert Hunter, great songwriting partner for Bob Dylan, much better than Jacques Levy. Oh, I know what it is. It was from Midnight Special. Right. Yeah, the song Midnight Special actually has... Is it from the Trains episode, right? Yeah. From trains, or I, yes. maybe it was more trains, yes. or, or maybe more trains. Yeah, the song "Midnight Special." You know, let the midnight special shine its light on me. That's uh, it. Features that line. Anyway, appropriately enough. Forty wigwam, nineteen seventy. Um, what what's uh, what's better than this? You know. Sounds so good. It just like I think of like a sunrise or maybe a sunset. No, it's it's a sunrise. Sun rising and a sun setting at the same time, you know. Right. I guess it's a sunrise at the beginning and then a sunset. Yeah, it's like a whole day. I think it's just a sunset to be honest. Yeah, it's more of a sunset. I think it's just a sunset sunset song. I think it's a sunset. Yeah, I mean this song is one of these examples of uh how Dylan does not necessarily need lyrics to show you how good he is correct it's under an underrated aspect of bob dylan correct and i think that's you know if we can just uh you know take a moment to 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 our own horn here i think that's the uh maybe one of the underlying goals of this whole project here is to properly contextualize wigwam right up here with all of these dense songs like nettie moore or high water or sarah just because it's a fun song that doesn't even have a single word in it doesn't mean that it isn't one of his greatest songs. It's just, it's its own thing. Well said. What's next? 39, Tangled Up in Blue, 1975. Pretty good song. Pretty good song. Pretty good. This one, to be honest, I is like almost certainly too low. Yeah, uh, probably. But, but I'm standing that's, by that's it. That's fine. I mean, to me, it's not too low just because, you know, it's... I think there's songs that are a little bit... Um, just more exciting to me, uh, slightly. I mean, it's still fucking really high. Like, if anyone complains about this, like, sorry. Okay. Right. Yeah, I mean, at this point, once we're getting into, you know, the, the, this range of things, like everything from here to the top is just absolutely stone cold bulletproof. It's so, Silvio, silver and gold from here on out. Sure is. Um, I mean, Tangled Up in Blue, I don't even think that we need to say any more about this one. Go go and listen to all of the uh, Blood on the Tracks prattling on we did a, a, a year ago at this point. That was a long time ago. Um, it's Tangled Up in Blue, folks. 38, Blind Willie McTell, 1983. This is like the, the sort of boring stock choice of like, you're into Bob Dylan. You, you know Bob Dylan's songs know that most people don't know. What are you going to tell people to listen to? You're going to say, well, right. I, um, <laughs> actually, 
Blind Willie McTell is one of his greatest achievements. And I wouldn't go that far, like, to say that it's, like, one of the best songs ever, but um, it certainly is a, a watershed moment for a certain type of deal in songwriting, which I think is one of the earlier examples of what I think would come to be recognized as like a late period Dylan songwriting. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's very explicitly, very clearly in dialogue with the blues tradition. Uh, and so, you know, he starts to actually make his records sound like that 10, 15 years after this one come, or it doesn't come out because it is an unreleased track into the bootleg series. Um, but it's from, you know, 83. It doesn't sound like an old blues song. He hasn't gotten to the point where he can actually make his songs about bluesmen sound like blues songs. Is it, is it from 83? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's an Infidels uh, session cut. Same with Foot of Pride. Um, but, right, um, right. I always get it confused. Is, I always think that it's actually from Oh Mercy because it sounds and feels like it came later. So that that's, just, yeah, that's exactly what this. I'm saying. I've said that before on the podcast, which is just... Uh, furthers my point that like this is a song that really feels like ahead of its time in terms of Dylan's songwriting and the direction he would go. And it's such a right. great slow burn too. it. Like it, Absolutely. it's a rewarding listen that actually like you might find it boring at first, but by the time you get to the end, you you start to see that it's like a pretty, uh, pretty weighty number. It's got, it's, it's got fantastic song. And so, so funny that, Bob didn't include this on Infidels, apparently, so the legend goes, because he was, like, self-conscious about it and was concerned that, like, he himself couldn't stand up to the legacy of Willie McTell with a song like this and that he would look like, you know, sort of a two-bit hack compared to him by singing about him. Uh, And it's just this absolutely striking, stunning, like you said, slow burn kind of. So I'm just trying to think of a world where like people would listen to a Dylan record for in 1983 and be like, Hmm, this isn't as good as blind Willie McTell. (laughs) Someone would do it. You know, I'm sure this just has something about the mindset he was in, which is like something you and I will never relate to. (laughs) We'll never even consider ourselves like in the running to, to even think about doing a, a blues song that is like honoring the tradition of great blues men. Well, past. you know, when you think about it, we're doing our own blind Willie McTell here by, by doing, doing our podcast at podcast all. Ab- exactly. So maybe we should be just putting all of these recordings in the vault and never releasing them because we can't stand up to the brilliance it, of, the you know, just to, just to go off of that podcast. for a minute. That's not something that hasn't crossed my mind. Like I do think about that, you know, it's like, <laughs> yes, like it seems silly to even attempt to do this to talk about Bob Dylan but at the same time Bob Dylan is not like without his own mistakes most of his mistakes are like his bigger mistakes I would say like more significant ones are not believing in himself enough to include certain great songs on records um if I want to be like very you know uh dramatic, dramatic. but like and also kind of um, to, to be like kind of soft on him, you know, but, sure. but it's true. And, and so the, uh, the goal of our podcast is to, uh, you know, just ignore how silly or dumb or futile our uh, goal may be to talk about Bob Dylan and uh, to do it anyway. And uh, to that end, I would say uh, 
that's why we include this so high. <laughs> well, that's, I don't know that I completely followed that logic path, but I will give it to you. Uh, 37, we're closing in on the end of this section here. Uh, really starting to get some heavy hitters now. John Wesley Harding from the album John Wesley Harding, 1967. Did that not make any sense? Another... What, what I said? I, I think it probably made some amount of sense. We'll let the listeners be the judge. We'll put a Twitter poll up. Did Evan's thing in the episode make sense? All right, because I'm not sure it did, but I'm just saying, you know, Blind Willie McTell, pretty good. and uh, Good song. Good song. I, I would say Can't that you know, it's, it's a shame that no, people didn't get to hear that on that record just because Bob Dylan was like, oh, does this live up to some greater artist? Uh, yeah, does this does this measure up to the heights that I'm hitting with Union Sundown <laughs> and I and I? Right. Sometimes great artists don't know what's what's the best thing they about what they do. It's you very know, true. It, it gets lost in the shuffle. Oftentimes, in fact. John Wesley Harding from John Wesley Harding. Another side one track one. This is really the side one track one section of the list, I gotta so say. So many of them are so good. John Wesley Harding, uh, the title track, I mean, I know that I put um, I Pity the Poor Immigrant. I said that that's like one of my favorite songs. And it, it is, but like John Wesley Harding, the title track is just such a... Um, it, it's up there too. I mean, it, it feels like uh, as it's like a, a spiritual version of Billy. You know, like Billy right. is sort of a song about like a man and a, a human being and his his idealized image. And John Wesley Harding is like, well, what if there was just like a Western hero who had no what if there was a cool had no dude. corporeal form was just sort of like this true spirit of like the of of the West. And I think this song takes right. that really ambitious premise and actually delivers on it somehow. But it's having these great, yeah. uh, mysterious lyrics that nevertheless feel so full of the spirit of, of all Western, uh, storytelling. It's so low stakes, which I think works to its credit. Um, you know, it, it, so many of the songs on, like we've talked about before on John Wesley, the record are so short and, you know, kind of sharp. Um, and this first song is no different, but this one in particular is even like less sort of like weighty or interesting or um, kind of puzzling compared to something like uh, Watchtower or As I Went Out One Morning or St. Augustine. But that's, I, I think that's exactly, like, exactly right and exactly as it should be, especially for the first song of the record, especially for the song the record is named after. It's just like, it's sort of setting the template for what this is all about, coming on the heels of fucking Blonde on Blonde. The last song you heard was Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands, if you're listening to the discography in, the, in you know, chronological order. This is just, you know, as far away as you can possibly get, um, as, big of a, as big of a direction change, a sea change, as... Uh, subterranean homesick blues was coming off of um, another side. It's so you know, it's it's a great song, it's a great record. Um, couple more here, thirty six. This is one that we bumped up in the ratings. Uh, that uh, I think deservedly so. Things have changed. Two thousand. Uh, yeah, this could be higher. Could be higher. It's the it's. A lot of songs this is, I'll just go out on a limb and say it's the best song Dylan ever wrote for a movie, easily. Yes. Well, uh, are we including uh, uh, all the way back to the seventies? Um. Yeah. 
Because it's higher on our list. Well, that one is higher on the list. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean... We'll get to I, it. I, I think that it is kind of like... Well, do we have other stuff from the movie movies? This doesn't count. I mean, that doesn't count if we're talking about, like, uh, Pat Garrett, because that's... That's a whole score, whereas like this is just you know a one-off track for a movie. That's just what, him writing. That's what I mean. You know, like I'm going to do an original track yeah, yeah. for a movie. This one is far and away the strongest, and it it has such a such a an intense and um, convincing attitude. It's just so captivating to me. I never get sick of this song. Yeah, never. The same way that you said you appreciate the live cuts of trying to get to heaven and um, uh, and which are, uh, high water and, yeah, and high water, yeah, yeah, uh, is one. I feel the same way about the the live cut of Things Have Changed, which is such a like like a sleazy and kind of like skeevy and dark interpretation of the song, which is already a pretty like kind of skeezy and skeevy song. Woman on my lap, she's drinking champagne. Um, but, uh, but the live version of it just cranks that up to 11. Um, but yeah, I mean, the song, the song in general is, uh, it's, it's a real kind of weird moment in his career, I would say, cause it's right in between, it's right before 11 theft. It doesn't sound like 11 theft song, but it doesn't sound like a, um, it doesn't sound like a time out of mind song either. It just kind of sounds like its own thing, which is interesting and kind of impressive all in its own right. Um, yeah, it's a great song. Badass. We, we chef. We. Couple more here. Uh, two more, in fact. One for me, one for you. Although I'm, I'm with you on the other one also. Uh, Thirty-five Caribbean winds from 1981. Right. Which I know that you aren't. You haven't I'm come not around crazy on the, quite as much. No. <gasps> it's so good. It's so good. Oh man. Completely just batshit, blown out, like, as gussied up and, like, 80s studio Frankenstein, uh, everything against the wall that you can possibly imagine type of song, sounding thing that he has in his whole discography. But I think it it works perfectly. It's this, like, lengthy, six-minute, endless kind of story song that I still don't know that I have a firm grasp on what's going on here what the, oh, it's Caribbean, about the Caribbean wind it's blowing about the wind in the Caribbean. Right. It's about the wind. Do you say Caribbean yeah. or Caribbean? Like I say pirates of the Caribbean. I don't say pirates of the Caribbean, Caribbean. but I, I say the Caribbean, say Caribbean if I'm talking about the place. It might be, I always say Caribbean, he says Caribbean wind. Caribbean. Yeah. But that could just be an artistic license. It's probably like an East coast, West coast sort of like, like saying online versus kind of in line. In line, yeah, exactly. You know that or you ever saying that like, when people are like, "Are you online?" Like when you're standing in line for something in the West, East Coast. Yes, they ask you if you're online, or the same thing with uh, with highways and stuff. That's more of a Northern yeah, California the, the, thing. People, say the one people will say the one hundred and one who are not native Californian, Southern Californians. Yeah, they'll say. Yes, that's. I still say the one hundred and one. You say the one hundred and one. Um, anyways. Of course, yeah. Yeah, the 101 versus the 101. going on 101. Yeah, people say 101 right, right. instead of attaching the it's article. the 101. Um, weirdos. The 101, exactly. Caribbean Wind, so much fun. Uh, if this had been included on Shot of Love, I think, boy, that would have been 
that would have been a real rework on the record, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but it wasn't. It's its own kind of thing. The whooshing, absolutely perfect touch. Um, infectious piano riff. It's like sort of a dumb song, even though it's kind of got like something interesting going on to it. Also, I, I still don't really know what he's getting at with the chorus and stuff and the ships of liberty and stuff, which might be why it wasn't ever included on a record. But I just, anytime I put this on, I can't help but like bop my head and just smile along like an absolute oaf, uh, which is all that you can ask for for some songs, I think, from sometimes. Unfortunately, no new versions of this forthcoming on Springtime in New York. I think a lot of people were holding out hopes for that. But uh, we'll have to make do with the uh, shitty YouTube bootlegs for the time being. Which brings us to the end of this section of the list, the second third, uh, and right back to the beginning, because wouldn't you know it, Evan, do you remember how we started this episode with a Tempest song? How do you think we're going to end it? Tempest song. Tempest song. 34, Early Roman Kings, 2012. This is is not one of my initial favorites on Tempest, but it's only grown in my estimation. I think it's become a kind of cult favorite overall. Yes. And and, and Dylan, a a Dylan live live favorite favorite also. Um, Early Roman Kings, I mean, it's just like kind of become the go-to of the fun blues uh, type of song like it took the place of like uh lonesome day blues kind of kind of usurped it i think Mm -hmm. as sort of like the go-to of just like we're gonna do like a boilerplate blues but we're just gonna make it like ridiculous like the lyrics to this if you actually imagine them are just (laughs) so funny like the early roman kings in their shark skin suits just that alone right at the beginning is just i'm in yeah, it does. It doesn't let up from there. It's just a, an onslaught of just like ridiculous imagery. If you actually just like, I ain't afraid to make love to a bitch or a hag. It's <laughs> <laughs> so good. I mean, it, uh, yeah, it's like I said, outrageous record, outrageous song, and um, I think just the fact that it includes lyrics like that puts it up in the top. <laughs> it's so fun. <laughs> Yeah, it, it really is like, I mean, it sounds like, I, I'm not going to say it sounds like garage band, royalty-free blues music because it's the never-ending band actually playing in the studio. No, I, I would ass, say that it, incredible it, accordion riff. it revitalizes the, melody, the blues it, for me. Like, no, like, it might sound dramatic, but like, it's songs like these that actually made me real, like, rethink the whole form and idea of of blues music. Cause like so often blues music has the same sound or something sort of similar to it, but the lyrics are just like, uh, they just like, they are frankly so boring. Like it'll just be like, I walk down, like down the road. They'll be like, I'm, uh, thank God. Thank God. Thank for the God for the blues. <laughs> well, that's so another, that's a horse of another color. But I, I mean, it took me a long time to, it actually took song, a song like this with it's like absurd lyrics to then make me sort of like, it's like reverse psychology. I started to appreciate the simpler and just like the more, basic forms of blues and the basic lyrics in classic blues music. Right. Cause you just realize that like, this is kind of a perfect form in itself and you can do anything with it. Right. The template can act as a vehicle for whatever kind of message that you e- want to exactly. put across, whether it's the most 
basic kind of replacement level Canyon Club blue shit that you can think of or something like this, sluggers and muggers wearing fancy gold rings, all the women going crazy for the early Roman Kings. Honestly, like maybe one of my favorite lyric sets that he's ever written. Um, just such a like spectacularly inventive um, kind of vision that he's putting here. And I think it works all the more so for the fact that it is put it's juxtaposed against this absolutely just like deadeningly simple yeah. and predictable and yeah. familiar blues yeah, the like, lyrics it has that to are, be against this yeah music. It, it, it is such a like a thrilling contrast to hear this like dead exactly. simple blues and uh then like be forced to listen to and reckon with the lyrics and just imagine it <laughs> i can strip you of life you strip you yeah, breath strip you down, strip to, the you down to the house of death um uh, man, what a guy. Well, this has been part two of the Jokerman 100. You got to tune in next time to really hear the what the women are really going crazy for. Sure. It's going to get uh, it's going to get hot and heavy uh, up here in the top third of the Jokerman 100. You want to bet there's going to be more Tempest on there? Jokerman. 